Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Not, not super great. <laughs> no? That sounds more interesting than what I had to say, though. Uh, my dad's bone marrow transplant got denied by the hospital, so that's a problem. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, and then works a bitch. There's a little bit of hope. We thought we were completely screwed, but apparently the Mayo Clinic is also a network. So now they're talking to them to see if they'll approve, because apparently they're a little more aggressive with treatments than some other places. Mm. So I guess I don't know. What's your dad got going on? Uh, it's a, basically a really rare form of, uh, bone marrow cancer. Oh, fuck. I mean, the good news is he's like not even sick right now, mm-hmm. but if it like, if it didn't get taken care of, he'll get sick in a few years. And then his, uh, the, uh, the life expectancy isn't very good. Well, that sucks, man. Yeah. That's a nasty one. So I think Noah wins the uh, worst week of the group. Sweet. Swell pride. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a bowl of ice cream? I could use some ice cream right now. Sure. I would would get you ice cream if I could. It's my my wife's birthday next week, so I can use that as an excuse to eat ice cream. There you go. I don't think you have to wait. You're a grown-up. You can just have ice cream. That's the other thing. Oh, by the way, her birthday is on Tuesday next week. Is there a chance we can record a different night? Monday, maybe? No, Tuesday. That's all there is to it. You'll have to ask her to move her birthday. (laughs) Please, please adjust your sign. (laughs) Uh, It's fine with me. I don't really care. Monday might not be great for me. I don't mind moving huh. it. I'm just not sure about Monday. Yeah. Wednesday. Wednesday? Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Either one of those would be fine. Right. Wednesday works for me. Just do Wednesday then. All right. Problem solved. Problem solved. Yeah. All right. This isn't really the introduction to our show, is it? It's not very exciting. Well, this is going to be this is a weird, somber intro to our show. Doug, really- it seemed like you didn't have a good week. What was up oh. with your week? No, nothing really. Well, I was hoping it'd be a fun anecdote to you know not leap off of Noah's sad anecdote. Right. No, I feel like I, f- I feel like this is the last week of Swayze month, and we should be coming in harder than this. Should be right. super excited. Um, I get to go test drive a new car tomorrow, which I don't really want to do because I don't want to spend the money on a new car. I feel your pain, but my car is fucking falling apart, so I have to. 
Yeah, I, I find when you get like a new car too, like everybody will be excited about it for you because they only see a new car; they don't have to make the payments on it. So, right. For me, yeah. the the payments completely offset any joy I would get from the car. Yeah, my car is in that position where everything's starting to fall apart, and if I start paying to fix stuff, yeah, I'm I'm losing money because the car is not worth that much. Yeah, I've been there before. You're like, you start adding up the payments, and you're like, ooh. Payments on a new car would have been cheaper than the payments on the repairs on this one. Yeah. Not a great situation to find yourself in. I found a decent used one that I can maybe afford. So we'll see. Started, uh, I've only done it once, but started Grubhubbing. Just delivering people food. That's fun. No, it's not. It fucking sucks. But it's better than, you know, being completely poor. Yeah. How's the... How's the income versus the miles you're putting on your car? Uh, well, like I said, I've only done it once. And I made enough money to fill up my gas tank the next day because I needed gas. So, so far, not not good. But, you know, I discovered on that day that uh, just as I was like, okay, I'm going to go start delivering some food. And then my, great, my brakes started grinding, like almost immediately. Uh. And I was like, oh, good, 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 good. You know, this side job where I have to drive lots of places. Suddenly my brakes are being stupid. So, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, that's no bueno. No. I bought some new brake pads. I'm going to try to swap them out maybe tomorrow. Have you done that before? Once a long time ago. Um, I was, I was, I was going to say, if you don't know exactly what you're doing with brake pads, you might want to ask somebody who yep, yep. knows what they're doing to come over. Yep. I've done it before once, like I said, a long time ago. And I looked up a video specifically for my make and model of my car just to make sure. And it's exactly the same as I've done it before. So I was like, Oh yeah. Cause like there's some hoses and stuff. And if you don't clamp off those hoses, it'll like dump all the brake fluid out of your car. Yeah. It's good times. And if you suck up an air bubble, it'll randomly make your brakes not work one day, and then it'll die. Oh, don't give me options, Noah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Ooh, a way to die where the insurance will still pay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't have life insurance. Come on. Um, yeah. Old, Old Joe Blow doesn't give you life insurance? Freelance? No, no, no. I may have something through my work, but it literally would be like a thousand dollars. So, yeah, but if you're dead, who's the insurance for the dog? Oh, I don't give a shit. Like my parents all take well, care did, of everything. But I was going to say I don't know if this is true in Canada, Doug. But the average cost of a funeral in the United States is forty thousand dollars. Yeah, but if you're dead. Just like leave a note that says, please don't have a funeral. I, I agree that funerals are a ridiculous scam. We got away with, because me and Amanda, of course, had to pay for her mom's funeral ourselves. Um, we got away with it with about seven grand. When I die, I want one of two things. Either I'm poor, in which then you can just like roll me into a ditch and let the raccoons eat me. Yeah. Or two... I'm super rich, in which then I want my body to be mummified, put in a rocket, and shot into space. <laughs> it's you and the the Tesla that's 
floating to Mars. Yep. And then I want one of those golden records, like they put on the fucking the Voyager rocket. But I just, I just wanted to say nothing but like profane things, like like suck my balls, aliens. Earth is great. That you know what I mean. Just shit like that. So you wanted to lie then? Is what you want? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Earth is great. Come on. I just want I want my corpse to be the thing that allows us to discover if extraterrestrials have a sense of humor or not. Yeah, they're going to be like, what the fuck? And then come to Earth to blow it up. <laughs> These sarcastic motherfuckers. Hey, do you know what the Earth would be like after it got blown up? It would probably be a desert wasteland where water is hard to come by. <laughs> Boom. Uh, oh, Doug, just being like, let's let's talk about movies. <laughs> I just, you guys are upsetting me. <laughs> we just move on. I'd like to be more sensitive about it, but if we're being truthful, I'm, I'm just getting sadder and sadder, and it doesn't seem to be helping anyone. Mm. Did you guys hear a weird buzzing noise? Yeah. Sorry, I'm fucking with something. Oh, <laughs> it's, I tried to cheer things up, and no, it's like not on my watch. <laughs> there it is again. All right. All right, we're going to have to stop this and start over. This cannot be <laughs> the start of our show. <laughs> I'm not joking. How do we stop? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a train wreck. This is gonna keep going, Doug. You better just start making something funny. Noah, tell us about Steel Dawn. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what we have here is kind of like a, a multiple multiple rip off kind of movie. It's definitely a uh, Mad Max rip off. What? It, it also has some elements of maybe like Conan in it ish. It's it's got this weird sword and sandaly vibe, even though it's uh post apocalyptic. The uh, the director says it's a tribute to the movie Shane. Yes. Which is a, an old western. That's that's fascinating. But I also understand why that would be. <laughs> uh but so we've got our main character who does he even have a name? I don't think he gets called a name. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he does. Nomad at some point, but I'm not sure if that's his name or if that's just a description of him. They also call him the Stranger. So, Stranger Danger, Patrick Swayze. Uh, Yeah, but basically, his (laughs) I don't know his kung fu military general sensei guy. That's correct. Is is murdered by some random dude in a bar. Uh, which sends him on an epic quest to, I don't, I don't know, avenge him or something. But really, it just he ends up in a random mountain town, uh, and gets embroiled into their problems. In which, oh look, there's a woman in trouble with a child, and uh, there's an evil warlord guy. Like like all these movies, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a bunch of stuff happens cool fights uh and and then he saves the day and then he wanders back off into the desert yep and 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 it turns out he gets vengeance for his master because the guy who killed his master turns out to be another soldier who works as a mercenary who gets hired by the evil guys or always was working for them yes correct (laughs) mercenaries let me tell you something guys I'm real fucking happy I watched this movie. <laughs> I knew you would be. 
I got to say, I actually enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. I'm right there with you, Brian. I, like, oh, this no, I think started, my internet died. Like, oh, shit, what did I do? I'm the one that picked this. <laughs> why, <laughs> why did I pick this movie that obviously no one's going to like and I'm not? But as it went on, I, it, it, I enjoyed it way more than I, than I uh, expected to. Yeah. I mean, it's still got some moments where you kind of roll your eyes, but I feel like everything else is just like, oh, this is actually a pretty decent movie. Yeah, like, um, even the beginning, like, I, I don't think Noah was paying quite enough attention, but the whole plot is actually that his, like, mentor guy that gets killed in the bar was on his way to become the peace, they call him a peacemaker or something, which is like the sheriff of this little town, yeah. and... So when Swayze goes there, he goes there on purpose with the intention of keeping the peace. It's like a tribute oh, I, to his. I didn't catch that either. Mentor. So yeah. I missed. I missed everything that you just said. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense yeah. now that you said it. But I, right. I didn't put that together. Right at the end of that last sentence, my internet cut out. I think. Yeah. Oh, well, Doug just Doug just trying showing a whole new light on 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 this movie. Tell him again, Doug. Yeah, so the, the mentor guy was on his way to become the peacemaker for that town, right? So when right. Nomad, which I did look on IMDb, his name is Nomad, when he goes to the town, he's going there on purpose to get himself involved in whatever's going on because he's going there as like a tribute to his like mentor who, t- who would have been the one in charge of keeping the peace there. Yeah, I kind I kind of assume that, but they never like it's never actually it's, explicitly addressed. It's not very well explained in the film. No, because I didn't pick it up at all. So yeah, but I went. I did go back after a while and read some plot descriptions and stuff because it's been a couple days since I watched this, and it's, everyone seems to agree that that's what happened, which is kind of what I thought happened when I watched it. So <laughs> yeah, I I thought the movie was going to end with the. And the whole peacemaker thing going to be that he decides to become one of these peacemakers. I, I, I honestly thought that's where the film was going to end too. Was with him taking over the mantle in that town. Yeah, I was surprised it didn't, but that's okay. Can we talk about the most important thing in this movie, Patrick Swayze's unibrow? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say his mullet because it's a pretty sweet mullet. Oh Jesus! Oh beard. my God! Yeah. Feathered ponytail mullet. It's serious. <laughs> it's something else. Man. At the beginning of the movie, whenever I was watching it, the only thing I could think with that weird goatee that he was wearing, and I was like, "This movie makes Patrick Swayze look like ripped Jack Black." <laughs> uh, all right. Did you guys notice his beard kind of kept changing a little bit in the movie? Like they just, I think it's a lower bu- a problem with lower budget filmmaking, but they wanted him to have that beard that looks like, oh, I've just been wandering the desert, so I haven't had time to shave. But then they kept having to like adjust it a little. Yeah, at several points, it looks like it's sprayed on. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, I'm not, I just don't think they could have it consistently. They didn't have like somebody there every day to trim it back to the exact length so it would look the same throughout the movie or whatever. Pretty funny though. Once again, the unibrow. Did they fake that unibrow? Or is this like before Patrick Swayze got famous enough to know that he needed to wax that unibrow? Uh, I don't know. Because it's it's dense. That is a dense line of fur across his brow. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's the most important thing in the movie. Are you sure? <laughs> I think this is really important to me. 
it is honestly they did go out of their way to create strange appearances for the characters so maybe it is a fake unibrow i'm not sure Oh that, Jesus, Jesus like, Christ! His his nemesis guy with that fucking helmet wig that they had yeah. on his fucking head. <laughs> Can we talk about Brian James with a Hardy Boys beard? What is that? <laughs> Brian James doing his best Hulk Hogan impression through the whole is, fucking uh, movie. Man, that that uh, skull, the skullet that then he ties back, like, but he only ties back the top part of it, and I'm like, you don't have any hair on top. That's the last <laughs> thing you need to tie back. <laughs> It's a great look Brian for a future wrestling. He is amazing. This is we've talked about Brian James a lot on this podcast over the years, yeah. and I've always just been like large man grunts. I, I've never quite yeah. understood the appeal of him in this movie. He's fantastic. I finally get it. Like he has a little bit of a character arc. It's a stupid character arc, but it's fine for a B movie. And like oh. his per- performance is fun. His appearance is fun. Like everything about him is great. When he's like, when he throws, I've, I've his always thought fit, the. The Sorry. the thing that he does extremely well is he can go back and forth between intimidating and then having really, really good comedic timing. Yeah. And he pulls that off in this movie for sure. Yeah. Like he's got that. There's the scene where he's like, so he and Patrick Swayze have gone off to steal parts from the bad guy to fix whatever. And uh, uh-huh. he, he, then when they get back, everyone just gives Patrick Swayze all the credit. Uh-huh. So Brian James gets mad and just leaves. And he just like storms off because he's like mad that nobody's giving him credit for stealing the parts. And he, uh, the next day, Patrick Swayze finds him in the bar and he's like hammered and he tries to fight him, but he keeps falling over. Eventually Swayze just takes him outside and throws a bucket of water in his face. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh shit, like that was hilarious. And then the bad guys show up and things get serious and he snaps right into like hardcore serious mode and like puts the kid behind him and is like ready to protect him and ends up dying in the scene. And you're like, Mm -hmm. shit, like he really does a good job of switching, switching modes very easily there. Yeah. What about, what about when they go steal the stuff? Like you said, and they're going through the tents trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. (laughs) And they happen upon this tent that just has a bunch of topless women in it. And Swayze reaches out with his knife and steals a piece of bread. And he's just like, all right, come on. And then like backs up and Brian James just sits there for another like five beats. Still Swayze has to come pull him away. Well, I love the fact that he like, he taps him and then he leaves and then he comes back and he taps him again. And he's, <laughs> and then finally he grabs him and drags him out. <laughs> it is funny that this whole movie is a tribute to Shane, but in the middle they're like, well, one scene will be a tribute to Porky's. It'll be it's fine. <laughs> uh, I find it interesting that this movie and Dirty Dancing came out in the same year. That is fucking crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Jeez. You know what the craziest part about this fucking movie is? How have I never seen this movie? I don't know. This is right up your alley. Right. This is like everything I want in a film. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know how common this film was. I've I've always seen the poster before, but I wasn't even for sure we were going to be able to find it when I first started looking for it. You can get the Blu-ray, like the the new uh, Lionsgate Vestron release with their Vestron line. For like twelve bucks, I might, I might need to, I might need that. And it comes with a digital code, so I mean, yeah, and it's got a bunch of interviews with some of the crew and stuff on it. It's so yeah. I turned, I turned this movie on in that very first scene of Patrick Swayze fighting the the blatant Tuscan Raider ripoffs. 
yeah, yeah. That, that pop out of the sand. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> can we can we ask like I, I don't get me wrong, a fun scene, arguably ridiculous but fun. Um, then why if there's like these mutant monster guys that pop out of the sand in the opening scene of the movie? Why don't those guys ever come back for the remainder of the film? Wouldn't you think that that'd be a plot point that would return? Well, that's so what the sequel expensive. should be about. Oh, there's a sequel now. Okay. There, there should be twenty sequels. This should have, this should have spanned the the eras. This should have been Swayze's legacy. <laughs> this is like uh, Swayze's like Mission Impossible, like for Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the Tuscan Raiders, though, because uh, I watched the what is it good bad flicks video on youtube about this movie and they pointed out that there's like a lot of similarities between this and like episode one of star wars where it's like he's so he's wandering through the desert he meets up with some people who are in trouble befriends a small blonde boy who's in the back building a pod racer it's like wait a minute he's not racing. <laughs> yeah i mean my wife even pointed it out she was sitting there watching yeah. it she goes this is really star warsy and i was like yes yeah you get it <laughs> I knew I married you for a reason. Yeah, it's like, like a, it, it's it's like episode four and Mad Max had a weird baby. Yeah, like the whole um, the whole setup, like the the water purification farm that they're working on, is like it really feels like a like a little Star Wars village. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Like, yeah, and I I mean I guess it's a water purification instead of like whatever kind of farm Luke was on there. It's slightly different, but I uh, do I do have to point out so I can forgive something in a movie uh that is stupid and non-functional but looks really cool yeah uh-huh. right and i can forgive something that doesn't look cool but you're looking at it and you're go okay i i get why they had to do that because that would be stupid to do it another way can we talk about his fucking sword holder <laughs> what <laughs> where it keeps the blade up yeah it of, points like, it up and pointed directly at the back of your elbow like yeah. if you if you moved incorrectly at all, you would slice your arm open. If you oh, yeah, fell, yeah. you would die. It guarantees you would die. You can you can easily stab yourself just while walking. If you right, your sword the way he carries his sword, it's absurd. It, I think it looks cool, so that's why I didn't question it. But I guess I didn't, see. I don't know. It doesn't look. It doesn't even look cool. It looks like a dude with a spoiler, like a fucking Honda. <laughs> Well, here's here you go though. This is why it makes sense because if you'll recall later in the film, there's a small blade in the back of the handle that's easily accessible as well. So you're gonna stab yourself either way you carry that sword. If it was handle up, you'd still have a blade sticking I did. up technically. I, I did love the tiny hidden blade in the that handle. was man, in that last fight when he pulls out the little mini sword out of the sword, I'm like, what a great idea. Two swords in one. <laughs> And what what year, what year was this? Eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. Yeah. Did uh oh god damn it! Which Sean Cog Van Damme movie is that? Is it Cyborg? Is that the one where he's got the blade in his shoe? Uh yeah. Did did that come out before this? Did they steal the knee blade? <laughs> uh, eighty-nine. So, but I don't think that's original to either of these films. I feel like I've seen that before. I don't know. I do like God, the, knee, the I, knee blade, man. That that idea of like uh, like a knee pad with a blade built into it, so that you can just like knee a guy in the crotch and you're stabbing him right in the dick, is like yeah. 
Because that's how that's how the mentor is killed. I don't know if we got that deep in our plot description. <laughs> he gets a, a need in the dick with a blade and bleeds to death on a barroom floor. Yeah, and then <laughs> they, they burn him Darth Vader style afterwards. Yeah, I, I do. It's, were you guys in the same spot as I was? So we we briefly mentioned it. So the kid is building a. Uh, I can't remember what they call them, but they're basically the. Uh, box cars that run on wind power that people play on in the desert. Yeah. Oh yeah, those were dumb. Well, that they set that up as a plot point at the beginning of the movie. And then toward the end of the movie, the kids getting into that one and I was like, "Oh, I wonder if they cut something out where he taught him to drive this thing and that's going to be like, you know, how this kid gets away or whatever." And then, of course, the kid gets going and just immediately wrecks. And I was like, well, that was, that was kind of fucking stupid. But then five seconds later, you see them trying to go full speed in these. And they're going, I don't know, 25 miles an hour. <laughs> Maybe. Like, it's real. And they're real bad looking. They're real bad. And you're oh, like, yeah. oh, my God, this is so fuck. No wonder they cut this plot point because this is fucking stupid. And then fucking Imahotep gets <laughs> fucking speared in the chest. See, I like that they use them for jousting because that's plenty fast enough to stab a dude. Did it? Did it fuck you guys up when the villain from the fucking Mummy showed up in this for no goddamn reason? No, nah, because when the movie started, I was looking through some trivia, and it's like, oh, early performance by Arnold Vosloo, who would later play in the Mummy, and I was like, oh, and then he showed up, I'm like there he is. Well, I I was like so the first time you see him it's so fucking brief and for a split second I was like was that Billy fucking Zane is Billy Zane in this movie I can see that uh, yeah I, there's no reason why Billy Zane shouldn't be in this movie either right? it made total sense <laughs> uh yeah I don't know I, I I don't know whoever this movie suffers from one thing that that both lowers its quality as a film and greatly enhances my enjoyment of it as a film. Okay. And that is whoever was like the set designer in, in costuming and all that kind of stuff. Cause you're looking at shit and you're like, what in the weird fuck version of reality is this person seeing? Cause none of it looks particularly like cool. You know, like Mad Max has this like cool diesel punk vibe to it that you kind of forgive the anachronisms and all that kind of stuff. Cause you're like, yeah, but it looks cool in this. It's just like, we're just going to randomly have shit that looks brand fucking new and randomly have shit that looks very old and their swords are going to be weirdly yeah. triangular. And he's going to wear a shiny silver leather body harness. Well, they mentioned that, that that's partly left over from his wartime uniform. So it's probably some kind of body armor that they wore during right. whatever war. Um, it was also a slightly less sexy tip of the cap to Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I, I actually thought the visuals in this movie worked pretty well. I liked the idea of... I, th I did think a lot of the stuff looked like it was kind of repurposed old crap. Like, they've rebuilt, like... A lot, they're going around on, like, horse-drawn carriages, but they're made out of, like, metal and stuff, as opposed to being, like, you know, they weren't going back to scratch. They had stuff to start with when they were building. I, I, I thought it worked fine. Yeah. Again, it's B it's, it's stuff, fine. It's just it's just inconsistent. Yeah, but I mean that the whole idea is that they're in this world where 
resources are scarce and they're doing the best they can. So some of the, some of the stuff is new, you know, some of the stuff is whatever we could piece together and they're spending their, you know, like the, okay. there, there is supposed to be a, a lot of wealth disparity between the, whatever the bad guy is that's supposedly running things and the good guy and the good guys, you know? Well, well then it's, of course it's the thing too of we've, we've got Patrick Swayze with his, feathered ponytail mullet which is just extravagant <laughs> it's like it's too much it's too much for any man to to bear the the weight of of carrying that mullet uh and then it, you know his nemesis with the helmet hair and all that kind of stuff but then the the main chick looks like her hair was crimped and styled for the 80s you know what i mean like she had the big oh, hair totally. and i was like so the only things that survived are like oil barrels, tires in fucking hairspray. Correct. Like, <laughs> those are the things. Yeah. Aquanut's tough, man. Yeah. By the way, uh, she was also in Next of Kin, apparently. I don't know who she played. Mm-hmm. Um, but is also Patrick Swayze's wife. Yeah. And was his apparently wife before was this, this got married? Was this, was, yeah, was this the love connection? Did we? No, no. They, they, got married, they got married in 1975. And they were together up till he died. Yeah. So it's super weird that they're both cast in this movie because neither of them had the star power to get their spouse cast. It's just a coincidence, apparently. (laughs) I like to think that they both went in on different days reading for things and they didn't even know they were in the same movie until they both got there. (laughs) It's like, who who gets the car today? I've got to get to set. Oh, I've got to get to set too. And then they just, it's this weird meet cute thing where they end up going to the same set. (laughs) I don't know. Can we, can we all just, close our eyes and just imagine the reality where this was the big hit instead of dirty dancing and how, <laughs> how different Patrick Swayze's career would have been. How much better the world would be as a place. Oh my right. God. Uh, yeah. This movie was definitely not a hit. Apparently it only made half a million dollars at the box office. Uh, it never got released in theaters in the U S I don't think. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine, how bottom of the barrel this movie has to be for me not to have known about it and appreciated it. Like it's it's worth pointing out it was nineteen eighty seven as well. Go back and look at the list of movies from nineteen eighty seven. There was some very, very stiff competition. So I'm not surprised that a movie like this, which I think is a good movie and as deserve of all the like random post apocalyptic Mad Max ripoffs that occurred out there, this is one of the better ones I've ever seen. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that ironically at all. I think it's a genuinely a good movie. The action's good. The acting's good. Everything's good in it. Why it's so unheard of is ridiculous. Other than the fact that, like, you know, fucking Running Man came out the same year. How do you like? How do you be the post-apocalyptic <laughs> movie? Like, seriously, how how are you going to be the ones that make the futuristic sci-fi movie and you're up against Running Man? Like, it's tough, right? Robocop yeah, came out I, the same year. Like, I, I was going to say, I would argue in the in the era of that type of, um, you know, because post 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 apocalyptica was kind of one of those eighties fair things, mm-hmm. and this movie compared to several of those movies looks like a very well made Italian movie. <laughs> yeah. does, does that make sense? It's like it's good. But it's on a different scale for it's, some it's, reason. It's a B-movie made on a B-movie budget. There's no denying that. And there's some, like, really weird flaws in the film, like, where every time Patrick Swayze's in a fight scene, he'll do this front roll. 
but I, I don't know why he's doing it. I never once does it make sense <laughs> to me why he does it. He just does it, and it's just it feels like you know just a director on set found out his actor knew how to do a really cool looking front roll. So he's like, yeah, just do that, man. That's cool, man. And then they don't like in post they can't go back and like get everybody together and reshoot it without the front rolls. So now there's just front rolls in this movie. <laughs> Like that's and a lot of it feels that way, right? Like it feels like, yeah, we're not like we we couldn't get a big name to play the big bad guy. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't none of that stuff, right? We were hiring couples so that we can only pay for one hotel room at the shooting set or whatever. <laughs> well, it's, that was it. Like a, well, it's probably it's probably also the thing of whenever he was uh, going out for this role, I'm sure they were like. Oh, have you ever done fight choreography? And he wasn't paying attention, and he went, hmm, choreography? Yeah. (laughs) I think, because we've talked in the the past about how Patrick Swayze's fight scenes look a little too Mm dancey, but I I find by adding in the swords, you kind of remove that. Like, they're, because, you know, there aren't really dance moves with swords in them, so we kind of get around that. So it's not not as awkward in this one as it is in some other ones. Um, so this was released on 290 screens in the United States. Yeah, so no wide release, right? No, it only made 562,000 against a three and a half million dollar budget. Yeah, that's it. I'm I'm so glad people like Lionsgate are out there that are like, no, I'm we're buying this shit, re-releasing it. <laughs> yeah, because absolutely, this is an underseen film. Like this film deserves to be seen as much as all those other you know post-apocalyptic movies that came out in this era. Yeah. it's it's better than most i found like the plot is is simple but it makes sense the character is you know he's an archetype he's that t- typical silent tough guy yeah. who just wanders in saves the day and wanders off but yeah he's, he's the man with no name yeah he's done well though and like a lot of the backup characters are good you know i feel like they do a good job of building the world too without being like super exposition dump about it yeah, like, personally, I found myself interested and wanting, like, when they keep referring to the war, and I keep wanting to know more about this, like, world, what I assume would be World War III. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm wanting to know more about it, but in some ways, that's good, because I think, given their budget limitations, it's not like you're going to do flashbacks to show atomic bombs going off yeah. or something, you know? So by keeping it kind of mysterious, I think they made it interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I... Uh, I don't know. I, I liked the world building, even though it was relatively simple. Yeah, I agreed. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't... It, it Everything in the movie is very simple, okay? Like, so, Kesha, or whatever her name is, she's the hero. And you know how she's the hero? Because she finds water, and she wants to share it and let everybody else have water, too. You know who the bad guy is? He's the guy that just wants to take the water for himself. It's You know what I mean? Like, again, like Mad yeah. Max stuff. It's very simple, but that's what you need in this type of movie, because we're here for the sword fights. We're here for, like the cute little interactions with the kid where the kid's trying to learn to stand on his head the way Patrick Swayze stands on his head, you know, all that stuff. And, and like I say, the casting of Brian James is just perfect in the role that they needed him for. It's, it's, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I'm super glad you picked this. I'm glad I put you in charge of picking this. I I, I had, I had never, I knew nothing about this movie going in. I'd only ever seen the poster for it, but I'm like, I, of of Patrick Swayze's IMDb list, this makes the most sense for what we would do on this show. So, yeah, yeah. Once again, I don't know how I've gone my life, and nobody said to me, "Hey, 
Did you know that uh, Patrick Swayze was in a Mad Max ripoff? Because I would have been like, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> Every time somebody brings up Patrick Swayze, you go on a rant about how he dances instead of fights, and then people get sick listening to you and don't get around to recommending movies. That's the problem. <laughs> I hate him. My hate of dancing has robbed me of this movie. <laughs> yeah, while we were talking about it, I just ordered the Blu-ray. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like this is something that needs to be in the collection. This this and Sardoz is a double feature. <laughs> I was thinking it's too bad we did Red Dawn already. We could have done Steel Dawn and Red Dawn together. That makes sense. Yep. Two completely different movies, but at least they both have Dawn in the title. That, that's enough for us. That makes as much sense as anything. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, all right, anything else? Well, there is one more very important thing yeah. that we forgot to point out, which is that the mentor that is killed early on in the movie... Mm-hmm. Is played by, and I'm going to look up the actor's name because I don't know how to pronounce it without reading it. The the dude from uh, American Ninja. Yeah, the dude from American Ninja <laughs> and American Samurai, John Fujioka, who, uh, if you'll recall, when we did American Ninja and American Samurai, we pointed out that this guy was stereotyped as the Asian guy who adopts young white boys and teaches them in the ways of karate. Mm, and yet, right. it turns out hundreds of years in the future after World War Three. He's just still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. When I realized he's the guy that trained Patrick Swayze, I'm like, oh my God, still? (laughs) It must have been so stressful for him to like survive the war. And they're like, yeah, you know, you've still got some white boys to train, right? (laughs) Isn't it honestly, I, it's fascinating. The, the level of performances in this film for how low budget it is. Agreed. Uh, I don't yeah. know if they just had a fantastic talent scout or something. Yeah, I don't know because I feel like the bad, like the the big the big bad guy is somebody, but I don't know. I don't know what else I've would have seen him in. Um, he's from the Omega Man. Cool Hand Luke. Uh, I bet it's the Omega Man. Probably. Uh, yeah. Um. Oh, he's also in the Dead Zone. That might be it. That could do it. He's, yeah. he's the dad who sends his son out to the out on the ice. Christopher Walken tells him not to. Okay. Yeah, it's... But I mean, like, you're right. The casting of, of like, him, who's not necessarily a big name or anything, but he's good. He does what he needs to do really well. Mm. And from what I've heard, and I can't back this up with facts right now, but, like, the director of this didn't make very many movies as a director, but he went on to be very successful as a producer. And so I'm wondering if... You know, he had a skill for doing things behind the scenes and getting things set up that maybe didn't necessarily translate into actually making the movie. And so some of the problems that may may have arisen are a result of him not doing well, but it's covered up by the fact that he was able to get this good cast together and, you know, knew how to put together the sets and scenery and stuff. I think the director's son played the kid in this movie. Yes, he did. So again, they they only had to pay for one hotel room near the set. <laughs> well, IMDb actually identifies this as a remake of Shane, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far. I've never seen Shane. I've only seen movies that are attributed to Shane. Like, there's a ton of directors love the movie Shane, and they talk about it, like even Logan was supposedly based uh, in no small part on that. So I'm like, gonna have to watch Shane one day, I guess. I don't. I, the weirdest thing is, it's I think it's old school western too, right? Yeah, it's from like yeah. it's like white, yeah, it's like white hat western. 
It's like Jimmy Stewart, I believe. And I still have never, like, I try, but every one of those that I watch, I'm like, this is horseshit. How did people get into this? People loved him, man. That's my whole thing is, like, whenever I try to watch, like, a John Wayne movie or something, I'm like, really? This is, this is it? I don't know. Westerns, Westerns post the good, bad, and the ugly, I like. Because once they were like, oh, we can make these exciting and interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like like 80s westerns I like, but they're more action movies than they are westerns. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, you know what's not a western? <laughs> it's the, the Richard Kelly movie Donnie Darko. That's hey, Doug, do you, want, do you want to tell us about Donnie Darko? I can try. Um, so Jake Gyllenhaal plays a teenage boy with lots of emotional difficulties and he has taken up sleepwalking um, luckily that saves his life one day because a what's it plane engine falls through the roof of his house and lands on his bed but he has slept walked away so he's not there which saves his life after that he starts seeing a bunch of weird shit um, including a talking rabbit and like weird the abyss things coming out of people's chests um somehow he figures out there's time travel involved yada 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 everything is going wrong uh he starts doing weird shit because the talking rabbit is telling him to do it which includes flooding his school and burning down the house of a preacher played by patrick swayze who as it turns out is also a pedophile in a plot point that doesn't seem to need to be there um (laughs) and so eventually he's he's figured out that this is all related to time travel and that a lot of bad things are going to happen because he has created sort of an alternate universe by surviving when he was not supposed to. So he is miraculously able to transport himself back in a way that doesn't entirely make sense to me and is killed by the thing, thus undoing all of the bad things that could result from him living. And in an even weirder twist, it's confirmed that his mom was on the plane that dropped the engine, and the engine actually passed through a wormhole through time, so it actually time-traveled back to kill him, which means, I don't know. (laughs) Did I get it right? Is that that the plot of this movie? Sure. Shrug. It's a... I gotta tell you, like, it is a confusing movie. It was confusing to me when it was new. It's confusing to me now. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense in a weird time loopy kind of way, the way time travel No, doesn't. no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, it definitely thinks it's much... I don't even know if the film does or if just people who watch the film think it's much more philosophical and everything than it is. Well, uh, to borrow to, to borrow a word from Daniel Dennett... This whole movie is a deepity. It's it, it, to to the to the extent that it is true, it's trivial, and to the extent that it's profound, it's stupid. Like that's kind of everything in it is just designed to make a fucking nineteen nineties emo girls masturbate. Is essentially like <laughs> that's that's complete. I mean, we should we should all accept that. It's yeah, it's not a. Donnie Darko is not a bad movie, but it is not a brilliant movie. And anybody who thinks it's brilliant needs to shut the fuck up. Okay. I'm going to kind of agree with you on this because I watched this movie. I just told you I don't really fully understand it. I think that there's truth to that. I 
really enjoy watching the movie. Basically, every scene in the movie I like. Um, I enjoy the weird, like, like I always go back to Terminator when I'm talking about time travel movies because it's so simple. And, you know, you have that time loop, that paradox that exists. And there's no explanation for it. And there can't be because time travel's made up and it doesn't really exist. And there is no explanation for it. And in this movie, there also is no explanation for it. The problem is this movie acts like it's deeper and therefore people try to insert things and try to create meaning that I don't think is there. I think it's just a time travel movie and it doesn't make any sense because time travel doesn't make any sense. So uh, I think it's it suffers more from its reputation and from the way people speak about it than anything else. Yeah. Yep. That's it. People, people love it so much that it makes it dumber. Yeah. And the sequel is fucking garbage. Well, that's your own fault if you watched that. <laughs> but, yeah, I never wasted my time. Yeah. But like, I love watching this movie. Like, all the stuff in it, I like the perform, like the performances. The two Hall siblings are both in it. They're both great actors. Um, you know, I like a lot of the interactions. Even when you get like the stupid shit, like where Donnie's off, like causing trouble with his friends, and they're arguing about, you know, which Smurf got to Smurf Smurf at. Um, and you're just like, I don't know, like that that feels right to me. That that's what teenage boys argue about and how he gets super annoyed with his friends for not understanding Smurf lore enough. I'm like, yeah, that would have been me snapping at my friends about something like that. <laughs> not Smurfs, but something, you know, I, I, I liked it all. I liked the relationship between him and the Jenna Malone character. It felt natural and real. And so then when when she ends up dying, like I understand his reaction to all that. All of that worked for me. It's just... At the end of the day, time travel doesn't make any sense. And therefore, the movie doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think this this film should be enjoyed the same way that, like, David Lynch films are enjoyed. You just accept that it's fucking nonsense. Sure. And, and I think the problem is people don't. Like, I've, I've, I've tried to watch some YouTube videos to try to get an idea of what other people think this movie is about. And like I had to turn one off because they're referencing like 16th century philosophers and stuff in it. And I'm like, I don't, this is a 2001 direct-to-video horror movie. Stop referencing 16th century philosophers. It wasn't, wasn't direct-to-video. It was played in theaters. Did it? Yeah. I saw it. I didn't see it till video, but yeah. I saw it on video and therefore I assume that that's how it worked. <laughs> Slight bit of arrogance on my own part there, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It has a weird... I saw it sort on of several dates. Oh, so you only watched like the first 10 minutes, huh? Hey, Jake Gyllenhaal makes it work, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an interesting movie. I'm curious, though, like Doug, you brought up, maybe it's just a weird time travel movie and people are putting more importance on it than what was actually intended. But then I'm wondering if Richard Kelly like took that to heart and tried that with all of his movies. Try to well, put more importance on stuff because then none of them have really been very good. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Richard Kelly is I I didn't say it's more importance than what was intended. I said it's more importance than what's actually in the film. I, okay, he, fair enough. I, I think it's entirely plausible that he thinks this movie's as important as all of those other fanboys want there to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I just it's not though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. like, I know if I I know if I had a time machine, I would go to the writer's house, and the second they wrote that cellar door scene, I would kick open his front door and slap him in the mouth. 
Jesus Christ. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that... It's also written by Richard Kelly, so... Yeah. Well, good. I only have one mouth to slap. <laughs> there's a lot going on in this movie that I think is symbolic in some way that I don't necessarily think works because symbolism for me only works when the audience can easily understand what you're symbolizing. But there's a lot like with the Drew Barrymore character, her behavior that is very strange throughout the whole movie. And it's like, she obviously represents something and I don't care what it's just not, but like, you know, right away when you, when we meet her is like when the girl shows up in class and she's like, makes her pick the cutest boy in class to sit beside. And you're just like, that's, that's just somebody thinking they're better than they are at writing, putting that, that scene together. But luckily, the actors involved are Drew Barrymore, Jenna Malone, and Jake Gyllenhaal. So you're like, okay, it all works. You know what I mean? Uh, it's and, and there's stuff like that throughout it. I don't know how the hell they got this cast together for this movie, though, by the way. like it's... <laughs> Well, I believe this was made through Drew Barrymore's production company. Yeah, so that's how she got there. So I feel like she's the one who sort of championed it. So I'm sure she had access to a pretty decent casting director. Considering this is like a first time uh, writer director. Yeah. Because even getting Patrick Swayze to come in as that like creepy preacher guy that made me, he's like of all the stuff in the movie, that's what made me the most uncomfortable was listening to him speak by the way. Um, I I was going to say there's, there's another problem. If we do a, uh, after the credits for this movie, Let's let's take the literal interpretation of the film where uh, somehow Jake Gyllenhaal's character, his spirit time traveled through the engine of the bomb's plane. What the what the fuck ever? That's correct. Uh, g- killing himself and undoing the rather mundane bad things that happen in this film. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also undid that pedophile getting caught so now that guy's just gonna keep on doing what he's doing to be fair i don't know that he was a pedophile he was just distributing child pornography oh oh thank you so <laughs> thanks for clarifying they actually want to embarrass somebody no, no actually you know what i ex- i accept that is much much worse <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going to get into a debate over which one's worse i'm just pointing out the plot of the film that's all I, I do think it is something that occurred to me when I was watching the movie, though, is I'm like, okay, so he's undoing the death of his girlfriend and some other things that have gone on in the film that are obviously negatives. But he's not hes not fixing the world. He's just putting it back to where it used to be. And the, the implication throughout the movie is that somehow the world was headed towards its end because he survived. But I don't understand where where that was in the movie other than he says it a couple well, times. I, I, once again, I think this is a metaphor thing. I, I think the whole intention is supposed to be that it keeps saying that the world is going to end, but it's his world ends because okay. the girl dies. So like the one tether he has to, to everything is taken away. Yeah, I get that. And, I, and, and like the, the, of all the symbolism in the film, the idea that she is his connection to reality is the most, obvious and the one that makes the most sense um so yeah I, I guess that's it like at the end of the day it's all about just saving her it's not about saving anyone else is that what you're implying? I, I guess it doesn't and none of it like like i said to to the extent that this movie is supposed to be profound it isn't 
this is all just surface. It's real surface level. My parents don't understand me, and my soul's as dark as the night. I mean, that's 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 all this fucking movie is. It's just a fucking goth kids masturbatory fantasy. Fair. Uh, was it weird to see Seth Rogen in this movie? Yes, I, I did not know he was in it. <laughs> it's super weird. He shows up as like a bully. Yeah, I don't know. The movie's weird. Yeah. I, I have to say, I like it a lot. I, I really enjoy watching it. It's difficult to discuss it because I feel like immediately you fall into the category of trying to explain it, and I don't think it explain. Yeah. I don't think it's explainable. Yeah. How do we feel Patrick Swayze was in this movie? He's really good. He's doing something yeah. really different in this than he does in other movies, but he still has that natural charisma. You can understand why when he's giving his speeches people are listening to him and you can understand how um, you can understand how people would get sucked into that. And then when you start to see that it's like the religious nut jobs that are like taking his word as gospel and no longer letting anyone else speak anything else and all that, you're like, yeah, yeah, that all feels very real to me. And I'm like, I started to get annoyed and uncomfortable and mad at that teacher lady. That's like, (laughs) we also, we also never get enough of uh, Swayze as the bad guy. Which is real good. Did did you guys ever watch Beast? The like TV show he was doing at the very end when he died? No. No. I mean, it's like, oh, he's the hard-boiled detective kind of thing. But he plays a cop that's kind of a bastard. You know what I mean? And just kind of an angry piece of shit. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm into angry fucking Patrick Swayze. We didn't get enough of that. Yeah, you don't see it very often. I and see in this movie he he never does that. He's just the creepy cult leader type where you're just like wow. I remember seeing promos for that show when it was on and I think it was public knowledge that he was really sick at that time. I think I so. remember thinking like, "Oh man, he does not look good." But I'll tell I'll tell you what. It's almost I would compare it to did you ever listen to David Bowie's last album, the one he made with Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was I, like a piece of artwork about death. Yeah, I would I would compare that TV show to that. Like you can tell that Patrick Swayze knew this is the last thing I'm doing, and so he's like super into it. Yeah, I just read that apparently his wife directed the last episode he was of the show that he was in. That's all very sad. Yeah, all all that to say that what we've learned from our Patrick Swayze month is that. He had a lot of range as an actor and really did a lot more than I think people give him credit for. He did. And I don't think uh, we even, I would say even we realized it until we did this month. No, I certainly didn't. Like when I go back, we go back now and we look at, you know, the roadhouses and things like that, that you know him for. I would even put Steel Dawn in that category of like that he's playing that exactly what you expect him to do. But then even in Uncommon Valor, where he's playing the straight laced guy. And he has to play it very stiff. He does a good job here where he's Bless playing you. the charismatic cult leader type. He does a good job. You know, like his range is more than I thought. I thought he was just a guy that like was naturally charismatic and could dance well enough to make it look like he was fighting. That's basically what I thought of him as coming into this month. And it turns mm-hmm. out he's a lot more. Yeah. Well, we may have to keep Sweezy September going. Year. Like we're pretty much out to be totally honest <laughs> it's not not that i'd be opposed to watching more but when you go back and you look at the ones we've already done 
and then you come along and look what we took off the list this month. It's getting pretty rough. So, well, I mean, you know, there's dirty dancing. There's <laughs> just, just switch it to S name September. Just every every famous person <laughs> with a Stallone September. Stallone September. Uh, uh, Savini September. Ooh, Savini that's, September. That's the one. <laughs> Somebody write that down. Uh, yeah, we'll forget. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. What did everybody watch since the last episode? Not a whole lot, because I've been working too much. But uh, I did start watching uh, wrestling, which is the docu-series that is about uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling. Yeah. yeah. I've heard uh, that's good. I got, rid of, I got rid of Netflix, and I'm kind of bummed that I can't watch it at the moment. Yeah, I'm about four episodes in. It's it's really interesting. There is, unfortunately, it's it's falling into the trap of people are being so dumb that they're parodying themselves occasionally, which is a little fucking obnoxious. Like in the first episode, so one of the major characters is what's her name, Haley from that wrestling outfit. She's like a younger blonde chick. She's the daughter of another wrestler who's been around for a while. And her and another girl are getting in a fight in Al Snow's office because the other girl's like, you were smoking pot before a match. It's not safe. Don't fucking do it. And they have this whole discussion and she basically said, I don't smoke pot before a match. Sure. Maybe I'll smoke pot in my car on the way to the match. And it's like, do you, what? Are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> do, you but, know, do you know that's the same thing? Oh my god. Well, and then the next thing it shows is her and another wrestler sitting in the car smoking a blunt. Like, it's the next thing they show. And they're sitting there like, yeah, you know, this and that and that. And it's like, no, she had a point. That's not fucking safe. Are you a fucking... What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, it's dumb. But so far, the major, the major crux of the show is the differences in opinions between the creative owner, which is Al Snow, mm-hmm. uh, who I don't know if the show's giving him maybe more credit than he's worth, or, or maybe maybe he really is this paragon of wrestling writing and stuff. But he's trying to do things and make a wrestling show, and then the other owner is some dude from like Sirius XM or something that bought into it that is only concerned with making it make money. And that is also something that should happen, but that dude comes off as such a fucking douche. Well, that's probably editing. I haven't seen the show yet, but I suspect a lot of that is, yeah, the idea of we want the creative guy to be the hero and the money guy to be the bad guy. And they all know that going into this documentary. Well, see, but I I don't think they're doing that either because they do point out that they'll keep being like, Al is bad with money. He cannot be trusted with money and that he needs to understand that like TV is not what it used to be. 
and there are other ways to make money because, you know, the money guy's saying every time we do summer shows, like live shows, and we go on tour, we make money. But every time we make an episode for TV, we lose our ass off. And then, like, Al throws everything into this fucking pay-per-view, and he's even explaining, okay, we've only got to sell 500 pay-per-views to make money, and blah, 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 blah. They put on a show, it's a really good show, and then they show the numbers, and they sold 75. <laughs> so, he lost a shit ton of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Maybe some of that money should have went to promotion, Al. Yeah, I don't know, but but besides that, they're doing the usual thing where they're kind of being like, you know, a lot of the wrestlers are these weirdo people that just can't do anything else anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're so passionate and they love what they do and they, you know, they all want to be successful and it's it's kind of weird this Haley character, her only concern in the world is going to the WWE and being famous and rich. Mm-hmm. And and, I, and for some reason, everyone's kind of behind her on that. And they're like, yeah, that is what you should do. And nobody's going, you know, that's not what happens for most people. <laughs> well, yeah, that is, that's an ongoing problem in a lot, of, uh, a lot of industries, including the wrestling industry, is that people actively promote you. Like, you know, throw everything away and chase your dreams. Yep, yeah, sure, the vast majority of people who do that are not successful. But still, don't have any backup plans. That would be no fun. <laughs> Well, well, and actually, see the crazy thing in this, they do. So her, her, her mom runs like a restaurant, and so Haley works at the bar in the restaurant, and another one of the wrestlers is a cook at this restaurant. So like, they all do have their day gig, which is really cool. It's not this weird, uh, you know, fantasy version of this where the people are just making money hand over fist. But a bunch of the wrestlers are talking about the fact that, like, whenever Al Snow was running it, they were making thirty or forty dollars a night, as wrestlers do. And with this other guy running it, they'll make five hundred dollars at a night, which still isn't a ton of money. But hey, it's way fucking better. Yeah, it's a lot closer to being able to make that your only job. But yeah, it's 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 worth a watch. I don't know if it's worth getting Netflix just to watch it, but yeah. I'll figure it out. And that's it. I meant to go see uh, A Haunting in Venice over the weekend, but I was so busy I didn't get a chance to go see it. You watched the other two? Have they made two other ones? Yeah, it was uh, Death or Murder on the Orient Express and whatever the Riverboat one was. I I did not. This is like the third one in a franchise. That's weird. I don't know how I didn't know that. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh has directed all of them. Well, then I'm going to have to go back and watch the other two. Are they directly plot connected or is it more of a... Well, they're all Hercule, well, right? Yeah, he's the same character in all of them. So so it's like he's like the detective trying to solve the crime kind of deal? Yeah. yeah. Her- Hercule Perot is like uh, Agatha Christie's Sherlock Holmes character. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although he's much less insufferable. Yeah, I remember I was... Like, I didn't see it in theaters, but I was going to watch uh, Murder on the Orient Express... And I started watching it and got like 20 minutes in and like nothing had happened yet. And I'm like, I'm bored. So I shut it off. So I've been interested in maybe going back and checking it out. But oh, yeah, just Death, death on day. the Nile is the other one you were thinking of. Yeah, Death on the Nile. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, that, somehow I missed those other two films completely. Yeah, because the first one's got like an amazing cast. It's like Johnny Depp and um, 
I don't know. Shit ton of other people I'm forgetting about. I have to force my wife to watch this. I actually kind of I actually kind of like Agatha Christie novels. They're not they're not too Yeah, many. I don't mind them. So Yeah, I was just curious if you were caught up or not. Apparently you were not. No, no, I I honest to God thought this was the first one. I saw the random trailer where they said Mr. Perot, and I was like, ooh, there's a fucking Hercule Perot movie coming out. Apparently I'm ten years out of uh, date with that. What'd you watch, Doug? I literally have nothing to talk about this week. Oh, shit. Short episode. Well, I do have a couple things. Um, my girlfriend brought her daughter over because she needed to go shopping for some shoes for homecoming. <laughs> so this is an interesting start to your discussion of a film, I gotta tell you. Because that's, that's the stuff 15-year-olds do, apparently. Yeah. Um. So they came over and we watched, and you know, she's a big Animal Tax fan. So we ended up watching Crawl, which she had not seen before. Killer Alligators. Uh, yeah. Still loved it. She had a blast. She loved it. She thought it was yeah. great. I, I, I haven't seen that since theaters, but I remember really enjoying it. Yeah. Holds up. I was the same way. I really enjoyed it in theaters. And I'm like, man, I hope it holds up. And it does. Um, so she loved that, which made me very happy. Um, and then she's a big Beatles fan and we were flipping through trying to figure out something else to watch. And we stopped on the movie yesterday. One of the dudes in an accident and then he wakes up and the entire world has no idea who the Beatles are. So he starts recording all their music and becomes like a giant superstar. Okay. Um, we were flipping through and both Cindy and her daughter were both just like, Oh yeah, I thought that sounded interesting, but I just never saw it and stuff. Yeah, we should totally watch it. So we watched it. Ten minutes in, they were both asleep, and <laughs> so I just uh, finished it myself and uh, still really enjoyed it. The second yeah. time around, I have to. I have to assume the ending of that movie is depressing. No, not really. It's an uplifting one. That's that's weird to me. Can you give us uh, more details on the film so I understand why it's appealing? Like I get the general plot is he steals the Beatles music and becomes famous from doing so. Yeah. I assume he learns a life lesson about how stealing music is wrong or something. Um, he, uh, so he's like a struggling musician. Like he plays like really shitty gigs or whatever, but it's what he really wants to do. So apparently he was a teacher at some point and he quit to take like part-time jobs so he could still play music. And this girl is his manager. She keeps getting him gigs and, it's blatantly obvious she's like way into him and he's oblivious to that fact. And then, uh, when he gets in this horrible accident and then wakes up and nobody knows who the Beatles are, he starts like, you know, recording their music and it becomes like this worldwide hit or whatever. And so of course he has to get a new manager because, you know, the girl from back home is not gonna do anything. And so then he goes on to become like a giant uh, superstar. Well, she stays, in their hometown and is still a teacher. And he realizes that everything he wanted is makes him miserable. Okay. And that he's not actually achieving anything because he's just ripping off other people's music. Yeah. That's, see, that's what I was getting ready to say. I don't understand how you have a happy ending when the entire premise of the movie is a struggling artist finds a way to steal another artist's stuff and get but away with does. it. But he does. They find a way to wrap it up where everybody sort of comes out okay. Um, there. Are, I guess minor spoiler alert. There turns out there are like two other people that have also remember who the Beatles are. 
and they catch up with him and he thinks he's going to be like in trouble or they're going to unveil him. And they just basically tell him, thank you. They're like, we love their music so much and we don't know what happened, but at least it still exists and stuff. You know, it's all just, yeah, it all, it all just uh, ends up, I think with a happy ending from my point of view. How would you describe it tonally? Is it really light or? Yeah, it's really light. It's like a really light movie. I mean, he goes through the typical, like, you know, he gets famous way too fast and suddenly he's frustrated at everything and hates everything and realizes like, oh shit, I got everything I wanted and I kind of don't want this anymore. But I mean, it's not like a super depressing, like, oh, I want to slip my wrist type movie or anything. Okay. So, you know. He just learns some life lessons and tries to make the best of it. It's a Danny Boyle movie, if that helps. Well, see, that's the only reason I had any interest in it when it was new. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's fun. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're a Beatles fan. Uh, And then the last thing I saw, which I didn't realize was out until I saw someone post about it on Facebook, that they they live in Denver and we're going to go see it. And I was like, oh, man, why do you get all the good movies? And then when I looked, I realized it was playing in Peoria as well, because there's been zero promotion for it. Um, I went and saw The Outlaw Johnny Black, which everybody's like, huh? Yeah. (laughs) So what that is, if anybody remembers the movie Black Dynamite that we did on the show before, this is a pseudo sort of sequel to it, but not really. Um, So (sighs) trying to think of how to even explain this. So it's a Western basically take the idea uh, of blazing saddles a little bit, but make it not a Mel Brooks movie and a little bit more serious, but not uncomedic. And that's basically what this movie is. Okay. But the weird thing about black dynamite is that Michael J. White is the lead actor, but he's not necessarily playing black dynamite. He's playing, the idea is it's a meta thing where he's playing like an ex football star who started making black exploitation movies, and this is the character, the, you know, the black dynamite character is is who he's playing, and so you're essentially watching the movie that they would have made. So it's sort of playing up on that weird meta thing that definitely happened in black exploitation movies. Yeah. So this isn't like necessarily a sequel to Black Dynamite, but this is a sequel to the idea where it's like, oh, that's that actor. This is another one of his movies, if that makes any sense at all. Okay. Kind of, yeah. Like, he looks the same. He's got the same hair. He's got the mustache. Sort of talks the same, but, you know, it's a Western. It's a Western where he uh, is an outlaw who ends up in a small town, and everybody thinks he's a reverend, and he ends up protecting the town from the evil rich guy from outside of town, and, you know, all that fun stuff, but... I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It's It was a fun Western. It's a fun follow-up to Black Dynamite. They kind of do the same thing that Black Dynamite did, where they don't necessarily... It's not like a naked gun type movie, where it's like so blatantly a parody, but they still do some of the ridiculous shit that they actually did in those movies. That you're just like, oh, why did they do it that way? <laughs> like, all the Indians in the movie are played by white people, of course. Makes sense. Yeah. And it's just shit like that, like throughout it. So, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. 
not as good as Black Dynamite, but you know, something I've been waiting for. They've been talking about making this movie since a couple of years after Black Dynamite came out. It was like 2009, I think. Was even that? Yeah, about 2009. Something like that. Yeah. 2007. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So, the interesting thing is they did a Indiegogo campaign, and I donated to it to get the Blu-ray. It's basically pre pre-bought a Blu-ray. And there's been no updates on that in like eight years. <laughs> so I'm assuming I'm probably not going to get my Blu-ray. That's kind of funny, but a little sad. <laughs> well, they only made like 30,000 off of it. They were shooting for like a million. So I'm sure they were just like, ah, fuck that. And just like abandoned it and didn't even. But the sucky thing is I can't go get my 40 bucks back. No. So. In order to see the movie, you had to... Uh... You had to go pay to see it again. Right? <laughs> I paid to make the movie, and I paid to see the movie, and I don't even have a hard copy to watch at home. Nope, and when it comes out on Blu-ray, I'll have to buy my own copy. Uh, what if you steal a copy off the internet and get caught, and you're like, but they owe me a copy. They owe, look, I can pull up the website and show you. Uh, but yeah, it's good. And it's got a lot of the same cast from Black Dynamite, so it was fun. It was just a fun throwback to all that stuff. So. Um, if anybody's seen the movie Boss, which is the the name it was re-released under, then I'm not saying the full title of it because I'm not allowed to. Um, with Fred Williamson, it's very much you could tell it's a giant inspiration from that. As as much to the end, like he even wears the same type of hat that Fred Williamson wore in that movie. And then, I mean, I guess spoiler alert, but it's not a spoiler alert. At the end, everybody's celebrating and they're all drinking a mug a beer out in the town square and they all raise their glasses up. And then of course, um, Johnny black looks up and sees two old guys sitting on like the balcony and it's Fred Williamson and like, uh, another one of those, Oh, uh, Jim Brown. Okay. So he kind of gives them a cheers. And they kind of give him a cheers back and Fred Williamson's wearing the same hat, of course. So they're definitely giving the nod, which I thought was fun. So, yeah, those are fun little moments when they do them right. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, next week, we are into October, and that means we should probably be talking about some horror movies. And luckily enough for us, Doug has put together an entire month of horror movies for us. What are you laughing for? I was giving you props. It's just funny when you said luckily enough, like as if it wasn't a planned thing. Just, yeah, right. What a weird coincidence. You put together this list of horror movies and now it's Halloween <laughs> month. Weird, right? Good. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually going to be celebrating different horror directors all month. So each episode is going to be two movies from a, uh, from the same director. So we're going to start off with uh, William Castle Week next week. And we'll be doing uh, House on Haunted Hill and The Tingler. Yeah, I've never seen either one, so I have no idea where we're getting. Into. Really? That's correct. Holy shit! This is this is one of those weird things where I like have a false memory. I thought we did House on Haunted Hill on this podcast. Well, I don't think Doug so. Doug didn't did see it. We did the Haunting of Hill House. Is that what you're thinking of? Maybe. I don't. Know. It's the Vincent Price one, right? Hmm. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I've never seen it with the with the skeleton on the cable. Like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no famously that's the movie we're talking about here okay yeah disappointingly we're not gonna be able to watch this with all of william castle's uh interesting uh gimmicks and stuff 
Most of my knowledge of William Castle comes from that uh, John Goodman movie that we definitely did on the podcast. Matt, matinee. matinee. Yeah. Wow. We did Matinee? I believe so. I've still never seen Matinee. <laughs> did we all did we all hallucinate most of the Wait, games we did this podcast? Are, are we, have we all is this the first week we've actually all been here and we're all like just remembering other podcasts we've been on? Maybe. I don't know. I thought we'd done Matinee. Huh, well. It is I'm not, I'm not digging through the list to find out. We can do Matinee again at some point if we well, want to. I, no, I searched it. It's not in the list. Oh. Huh. Strange. Maybe Scott and I did Matinee before you had joined oh. the podcast, Brian. Yep, that may that have been back. it. That may have been it. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. I like. I got a William Castle box set that I can bust into. Yeah, I'm really unfamiliar with his work. I, like his, he's so notoriously famous as a horror film director, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm like embarrassed that I haven't seen more of his stuff. So. <laughs> Happy yeah, to get into it. I think the box set is like a feature-length documentary about William Castle. I should probably watch it before we well, go. You'll, you'll have all sorts of stuff to say next week. Right? Yeah, it's... Because I believe he did all these schlocky movies, but then he was, like, always disappointed because nobody really took him seriously. And then he was, like, a producer on Rosemary's Baby, I think. Yeah. Because he wanted to be involved like... with the real movie. And I think he wanted to, like, be more involved, and they wouldn't let him. Like, look, we're letting you produce it. Don't get too excited. Oh, that's sad. I hope that's not true. <laughs> well, huh. interesting. I wonder if there's a good, is there a good documentary about Will, William Castle? I literally just said I have one on a DVD box set. <laughs> it's, it's been three seconds since he said it now. <laughs> but widely available? I don't know. I'll have to see. Is that is that Spine Tangler, the one you were talking about? Maybe. I mean, I guess I could turn around and pull the box set off my shelf and find out. Sounds like a lot of work. Right. You should really rearrange the whole office so that you're facing the movies while you record. That way you won't have to turn around. It makes them to be easier for you. Oh. Um, I also know how the hill's not in this box set. Not that I don't have it on like a billion other box sets since it's in yeah. the public domain. but That's the one that's available literally everywhere. Yeah. Um... Jesus Christ. There's a shit ton on all this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have time to read through this entire pack thing to find <laughs> out what the name of the uh, yeah, no. documentary as, as is. It turns, as it turns out, he made a shit ton of movies. He did. Yeah, I've seen Homicidal before. Did we do Homicidal on the show? Uh, what's that one about? Um, I don't know, because of course they don't have a description on it. Um, I don't know. It's with... Uh, What's her face? Nope. She's not in this one. It's not the one I'm thinking of. I thought it was the Joan Crawford one. Which one did we... We did one with her, but I don't remember what the what the uh, name of it was. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Is it Straight Jacket? I don't remember that. That title doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, that was right next to me. Straight Jacket. Uh, Trevor... Terrific performance of this chiller from Pioneer Horror Movie producer William Castle. She goes berserk when she finds out her husband is in bed with another woman. She axes the couple to death and spends 20 years in a mental institution for murder. After she's released, she moves in with the family and hopes her nightmare is over, but a string of axe murders suddenly start occurring in the neighborhood. The police think Lucy has reverted to her old ways. No. That doesn't sound right. 
Nope, doesn't sound right. So I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. No, what the fuck are you sending these for? He's just Somebody. sending random Evil Dead memes. Right? It was a really good Evil Dead meme. <laughs> it is a pretty good one. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. It's also wanna... a subtle reminder that we forgot to bring up Evil Dead when we were talking about Donnie Darko and how they just go see that movie in the middle of it. And... Oh, yeah. I was I was going to say, do you guys want to place bets on how many times next week somebody goes, The Tingler. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen The Tingler before, and I know Vincent Price says it a whole lot. So. I have a bad feeling we'll be saying it a whole lot, too, knowing us. So. <laughs> Let's get ready to say. I think. I think. In addition to watching it, I have to go back and watch the uh, Saturday Night Lives where Bill Hader would do <laughs> Vincent Price. <laughs> uh, Spine Tingler: The William Castle Story is the documentary. Noah. Okay. So you, you found the correct one. It's, it's got all the people listed that's in it too. And it's fucking awesome people. I saw. He's all the first person listed was John Waters. I was like, fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's do that. Roger Corman, Joe Dante, Stuart Gordon, John Landis, and John Waters. Yeah, it makes sense that all those people would be influenced by yeah. him. Right? Good times. Something I need to add. I need to add some John Waters movies to the list. Oh, good lord. <laughs> I don't think I'm a John Waters fan. I think I'm a fan of his as a person. I don't know about as a director. I don't know that I've ever seen anything he directed, so... I watched a couple things and I've just been like, why? Why? You never, you never seen Pink Flamingos? No. But I've watched like documentaries where they talk about Pink Flamingos a lot. There's it's, a, uh, it's definitely not. It's not like, that's not my biggest. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's like this three, like three volume documentary set that's, that I bought on Voodoo that is uh, called like Time Warp where they just talk about Comedy movies, action movies, horror movies. But John Waters is sort of one of the talking heads on it. And he's sitting with like Joe Dante and Ileana Douglas while they're talking about some of these movies. And they were talking about one of his movies and how just like, he's like, yeah, well, yeah, I got in trouble for being profane and stuff, but you know, whatever. And he's like, and sometimes people just, people just walk up to me and be like, oh, I wish I would have had an abortion. And John Waters will be like, oh, my God, why did that woman just say that to me? And then he'll be like, oh, wait, I wrote that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. He made Serial Mom. You guys like Serial Mom. It's been a long time, and I don't even know if I saw the whole movie when I watched it. I I would be down to do it again at some point. Wait, didn't we do Serial Mom on this podcast? What fucking year is this? I don't think we did. How long have I been doing podcasts? (laughs) I don't think we did Serial Mom. If if we did, I didn't watch it, I guess. I don't recall doing it. Noah's just making shit up. Noah's done shows in his head. I swear, <laughs> I swear to God we did Serial Mom on this podcast. I don't think so. Strange. Yeah, I was going to say, I like, like Cecil B. Demented and like Desperate Living and several of those films I like a lot. I saw part of Cecil B. Demented. It's been forever. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's a whole it's a whole film that's just about contempt for the filmmaking industry made by a filmmaker, which is Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something (laughs) fascinating about that. Um, I did watch that Living with Chucky documentary. They do talk to John Waters. Well, yeah, because he had something to do with C to Chucky, right? 
Was he a he's producer? A, he, he, no, he's in it. Oh, yeah. He's a paparazzo. And uh, they, apparently he's just a huge fan of the series, and they knew it. So Don Mancini asked him, like, oh, you want to be in seat of Chucky? And he's like, yes, of course. And then, and then he's like, and then I found out I get to die and have acid poured all over my face. The best movie ever. I know he wrote, he wrote a book about hitchhiking across the country. Yeah. Which apparently is real fucked up. And I need to read that too. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing an audiobook version since he reads it as well. Oh, see, that's even better. <laughs> what about you, Doug? John Waters? I am sadly uninformed with John Waters. I have seen his interviews about how happy he was to be in child's play. <laughs> <That's about it. laughs> yeah. I know he's like, he, in his, like him and I have different views of the series though. Cause he's like, what he was so excited about was because he loved bride so much. And I'm yeah. like, no, I like the ones leading up to that more. So him and I disagree. <laughs> we, we didn't do serial mom on this podcast. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm so old. My brain no longer functions. <laughs> I would do Serial Mom. That's not one. I feel like team it up with parents if we haven't done that yet. Parents is already on the list. Is it? Okay. Teamed up with mom. All right. I don't know. I'll have to, think of, I'll have to think of another really good uh, made-for-TV horror movie. Oh. Serial Mom a made-for-TV horror movie? 90% sure, right? I don't know. I remember a dude jerking off under a blanket in it. That doesn't seem very TV-friendly, especially back then. We don't need to put it on the list anymore. <laughs> That's not what I expected that movie to be about. Uh, not at all what I was expecting to hear about that movie. No, I mean, it's like one like 10-second scene. And then Kathleen Turner murders a bunch of people in highly comedic ways. Oh. All right, we should probably wrap this up, huh? I guess. We're very much rambling at this point. Yeah, we yeah, add we... some John Waters to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Doug will have a chance to hate Noah at some point. Doug, Doug, did you ever see the movie Gummo before? Yeah. Okay, so that movie was heavily inspired by the works of John Waters. That's not reassuring. (laughs) (laughs) Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.